Thanks for checking out the Bridge Podcast. It's not a mistake you found us. We pray God speaks to you today. Check us out Sundays at 10.30 a.m. For more information, go to sfbridge.org. I'm going to kind of put myself out there this morning and kind of get a little vulnerable with you. Did anybody growing up as a kid write in a journal? Perfect. Nobody. Awesome. That's kind of what I figured. Uh, We kind of had a similar response in the first service. I'm going to put myself out there. I did, okay? Seven years old, we went on a vacation to Craigens Lodge in Brainerd. Great place. Only Riley knows where that is. My parents are like, Derek, like, we want you to work on your handwriting. Uh, we want you to remember this vacation forever. I learned out it's because they spent way too much on us. So they wanted me to make sure it really stuck. So they said, hey, we're going to get you a journal. And we want you to write down what you did and, and, and so you can remember it forever. And so I was like, okay, sounds great. They got me a nice hardback journal. They had one of those cool pens that you could, like, change the colors on, right? Like, you would depress the little thing, and it's, like, red, and it's like, oh, cool. I want the R to be green, you know? And then they break about two, two weeks later. I got one of those. And so here's how the journal looks. I still have this journal to this day, but I'm not going to show anybody of it because it's private. But let me just kind of, let me give you a glimpse into this journal, okay? Day number one. Dear journal, today was great. I love you, Derek XO. Who am I talking to? Myself? I love you, Derek XO. Like, what in the world am I doing? Then the second day was a little better. We went boating today. It was fun. I love you, Derek XO. Day three, day four, day five, nothing. Day six, today it rained. It was not fun. My sister was annoying. I love you, Derek, XO. That's literally the extent of this journal. It was not extensive. It was not helpful, but it sure makes a heck of a memory now. And so, again, I do have it, but I'm going to keep that private. Uh, But for me, writing down my thoughts was not something that I did growing up. And clearly, in this room, a lot of us didn't have that thought. But uh, we're in a sermon series right now called Summer in the Psalms. And uh, if you're not familiar with the Psalms, it's a book in the Bible that's about 150 chapters long. And it's about a bunch of basic, basically Hebrew poems or songs, if you will. Uh, but what I love about the book of Psalms is it really is kind of like a journal. Uh, and it's a, it's a, they're primarily written by this guy named David, and he would write down what he's feeling, good, bad, or ugly. And you kind of read that through the Psalms as we've been doing uh, for a little bit here as a church. But why I love that is because if you're familiar with the concept of a journal, you're writing down your thoughts but life is happening around you, right? It's not necessarily like a historical narrative. And so the psalm we're going to look at today, I'm going to give you this title because it's an absolute banger of a title. You ready for this? It's a psalm of David when he pretended to be insane before Abimelech who drove him away and he left. Great title, right? It's like, what in the world is happening? But that's, again, why I like the fact that the psalms is like a journal, because the Bible tells us what was happening. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, we know that David, King David has later become, this man named David is young though. He's like a late teenager, early young adult. And in five chapters before that, there was a special thing where this man named Samuel anointed David and said, hey, you are going to be the next king. You're going to be great. You're going to be awesome. God's hand is going to be upon you but you're going to have to wait a little bit, right? We love waiting as humans, don't we? Like imagine someone said, hey, 
in a little bit, you're going to get a brand new Chevy truck. Zero miles on it. Loaded. It's going to be all yours. You don't have to pay for it. We just have to wait for three years to get it. We'd be like, this is the worst, right? And some of you guys are like, it's the worst because it's a Chevy. And, the, and if, you're, if you're feeling that way, we won't get along, okay? Um, but moving on. So in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is just waiting for his, his chance to be king. But the problem is, it's not just that he's waiting. It's that the guy in front of him, the guy who's king right now, is trying to kill him. Kings back in this day and age, they wanted to hold on to their power to their last dying breath. So they would try to kill any people who would rise up to take away their power. So this man named Saul is trying to kill David. This man who God said, hey, you're going to be awesome. You're going to be great. This man who's got a lot of military prowess, skill, and ability, but his own king's trying to kill him. So David wises up and he goes, hey, if my own people are turning against me, let me go over to the enemy. I'll just, I'll just switch sides and see if that's going to go well. But they were a little apprehensive about that, and so they were going to kill him too. So here's what David responds with in, in 1 Samuel chapter 21. David pretended to be insane in their presence, and while he was in there, in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gate and letting saliva run down his beard. And ashes said to his servants, look at that man, he's insane. Why bring him to me? I think it's pretty clear where we're going today. When you're in a pinch, pretend you have rabies, plead insanity, and just run away. Right? That's literally biblical. That's what David is. And uh, it's pretty intense. And if you're sitting here going, what in the world does this have to do with anything? I'm trying to paint a picture for you of this man who loves God, who's serving God, who's going to step into kingship and is a great man, but his own people hate him and his enemies hate him. And he's on the run, running for his life. He's got little food, little water, no resources. And he pens something in his journal, if you will, in Psalm chapter 34. And here's what it reads. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. If you're reading this, you're going, how in the world is this the same dude in the same situation? I'm with you. This sounds like the most counterintuitive response that can possibly exist. There is quite literally nothing going right in David's life. But yet he's sitting here in Psalm chapter 34 saying, I will extol the Lord. Basically, I will praise the Lord. That word extol means to praise with enthusiasm. So he's not just like saying, God, you're good. He's saying, God, you are good. You're the best. You're awesome. Thank you for this absolutely terrible hand I've been dealt. Life is good. Right? This sounds like the most counterintuitive thing we can think of. But I love how the King James Version says it. It says, I will bless the Lord. Psalm chapter 34, I'm going to unpack today because it's all about the heart of worship. True, genuine worship in all seasons of life. If you're newer to church or to our church or church in general, a lot of times you walk in, you grab your coffee, you see the pastor who looks really fresh, and you're sitting here going, this is a great place. I love this. And then you come in here and you sit down and, and 
the, the, the band does great stuff, and they have this music part, and we call that worship, right? And so you have worship leaders up here who are leading the way. And so a lot of times we, we sit up here and go, okay, so this is worship. Or if you get in your car after church today and you go in, in your radio is 98.5 or Air One, or you go on to Apple Music and they have a worship playlist. There's all these different musical avenues that we see. But as David's going to unpack in Psalm chapter 34, and as Paul later explains, music is worship, but worship is not music. Music is a form of worship. You can worship God through song and through music, and that's a way you can give thanks and honor and worship God, but worship is bigger than music. Worship is bigger than a performance. Because here's the thing, you don't have to have a keyboard and drums and a bass guitar and electric guitar and incredible vocalists on stage to worship. The form we can worship, but it's not the only way. David shows us in this psalm that you can be in a grungy cave against all odds with nobody around you and still worship. You know, one thing I've learned in my life is that music is great. But it's not everything. But I thought it was at one point because here's the thing. Uh, one of the worship leaders up here I have an especial affinity to. I love all of them, but one of them in particular I'm married to. And so I, I like her a little extra. And when I was first kind of starting to, to see her, if you know the story of Meg and I, you know uh, that from the moment I laid my eyes on her, she was like like the, the girl of my dreams. Like literally like the romance comedies that you see. It's like literally that was what was happening in my life. As I saw her, the sparks flew. I was like, that's going to be my wife. Uh, and so she was great, and uh, she was out of my league. And so I was like, i got to step up my game here. So I knew that Meg was into worship and into music. And so I decided this is the best of both worlds. I've always wanted to learn how to play guitar. If you're going to be a pastor, you better know how to play guitar. Secondly, I always want to have that moment that you just see maybe or you, you've heard about of these, of these people who just – sit in their room quietly, and they're just going through life. They're just strumming on their guitar, and all their problems get solved. And it's great. And I was like, I, I, just, I just want that for me. Then the other really selfish part of me was like, I really want to sweep this girl off her feet, so what can I do? Learn guitar. Here we go. I'm going to learn how to play guitar. So I went to a liberal arts college. Every, if you sneeze, you'd hit a music major. And so I was like, this is perfect. I, I called the music department, and I said, hey, uh, is there anyone who could teach me how to play guitar? And they're like, sure. We have half of our college here. We can do that. And so uh, I got a guitar major who came to my dorm, and he's like, okay, I'll teach you the chords. I'll teach you the arrangements. I'll teach you the books. I'll teach you everything. Here's all the stuff you need to know. And so I grabbed the guitar, and I just started learning. I started learning, you know, how to do your fingers, and you have to, like, basically, like, grind your fingers into a nail file to get them calloused enough. You have to do all these things. I was getting it going for a week, two weeks, three weeks. I was, like, learning all the stuff with guitar for about a month and a half. Then it was time to go home for Christmas break. And I was determined that when I got back, time to just spoon this wonderful lady, all right? And so Christmas break, rolled her eyes at me. Literally. Get home, and it's like, I know it's crunch time. So I'm in my room at my parents' house for hours. I'm practicing, practicing, practicing. And without it, I hear a knock, knock on the door. And it's my dad. He goes, hey, bud, how's it going? I was like, good. He was learning how to play guitar, right? I said, yeah. He goes, do you practice outside? 
It was December. I was like, that bad, huh? He goes, well, the TV's on all the way up, and I still can hear you over that. So, yeah, not good for you. Thanks, Dad. I love it, right? And while that wasn't the nail in the coffin, I kind of became, after a while, I was like, you know what? Maybe this just isn't my jam. But I'm going to be really honest with you guys. For a while, that bummed me out because I was like, I just really want to have that one-on-one connection with God where I can just sit in a room and play guitar and worship in my own way. And when I realized that maybe I don't have that gift set, it bummed me out. But in that stage of my life, God taught me a super valuable lesson, and it's quite simply this. Worship is a posture, not a production. Worship is a posture. It's something that comes from the heart. You can have worship with the band and the lights and the nice speakers, and that's great. But you can also have worship in a grungy cave in Israel by yourself with 400 ragtag dudes who are down on their luck. And it's the same. You can worship on the choir, and you can have 20 angelic voices that are beautiful and crisp, and their harmonies are perfectly in sync, and it's wonderful, and it's beautiful. But you can also have worship with ugly tears coming down your face because you're broken and hurting and trying to figure out how you're going to navigate through this next season of life. Worship is a posture. It's a posture that comes from your heart. It's when you choose to fixate on the goodness of God and the character of God more than your situation, good or bad. I'm going to get more to that in a second. But I'm going to tell you this much. I'm very confident that in a cave called Adullam in Israel, in Psalm chapter 4, where David penned this psalm, I am very confident the production level of that worship was a fat F. There was no band. There was no perfectly in sync lyrics. There was no fancy lights. There was a dude who was broken and hurting and hungry and thirsty and stinky and literally on the verge of losing his life because of the oppression against him, along with 400 dudes in a very similar stage of life. And David chooses to worship and thank and honor God for who he is. And I'm going to be really honest and really transparent. I think it's a lot easier to worship when things are going well. It's a lot easier to come to church and raise our hands and sing about the goodness of God when things are going great. Our job is great. Our finances are great. Our health is great. Everything in the world is great. But it's a lot harder when it's flipped around, right? It's a lot harder to sing about the goodness of God when in one week your water heater went out, your car broke down, you had a massive fight with your spouse, your kids don't like you, your job is terrible, and nothing in your life is going well. It's really hard to come to church and to worship and sing and smile and say, God is good, right? But that's the whole point. Worship is a posture from your heart. It's a way of you saying, I'm going to choose to focus on God and worship and thank him no matter what's going on around me. It doesn't have to just be by singing. You don't have to just sing to worship. For some of you, worship might look like just speaking something out and thanking God and as in a sentence. I'm going to be honest. I can't sing. I can't play guitar. I have zero musical ability in my body. But here's what I can do. 
I can sit in a duck boat and set up a duck spread by myself and just appreciate God in nature and thank God while I do that. I can run. Some of you would rather wrestle a grizzly bear than run seven miles. But for me, to put on a worship song or worship music or just even just to run with no other distractions and just get alone and just reflect and thank God inwardly as I'm running down the street, to me that can be a form of worship. Some of you can write really, really well and eloquently. For you, worship might be writing down stuff or just processing your thoughts out loud. It might mean loving other people. I don't know what it is for you, but here's what I'm telling you. Each of you in this room were given a unique ability, a unique gift set that God placed inside of you. And to use it to honor and glorify him is worship. That is a way you worship. For some people, the way you worship is loving on people really, really well. You have that gift to just love people, care for them. And so when you are just being there for people, that is a form of worship. Worship is bigger than music because it's a posture of your heart. Genuine worship comes from your heart. When you choose to thank God for who he is and what he's given you, especially when it's hard to do that. Here's how you do it, because let's just be honest. I promise you that in a cave known as Adulam, this man named David, well, the first three verses, he says he's extolling the Lord. It's not because he's feeling great. It's not because he's just smiling through it and faking it till he makes it. He's broken from the inside out. He's exhausted. He's tired. He's worn down. So how in the world can you sit there and say, God is good. Look what he says in in verse 4 through 7. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces are never covered with shame. This poor man talking about himself, this poor man called, and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all of his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. I didn't mention this first service, but when I read back this psalm, David's talking about what has happened and what's going to come at the same time. He's still in the middle of his mess, in the middle of what's going on, but he's saying, I sought the Lord, I looked for God, and he delivered me. He delivered me from my greatest fears. Those who look to him are radiant. How can David do this? Point number two. Some verses will say, instead of, I extolled the Lord, they will say, I magnified the Lord. Point number two, worship magnifies the character of God. It magnifies it. For some of us, our problems are so intense and so close to us, it's all we can see. So for some of us, our problems are, I'm really struggling in my marriage, and it just feels like an uphill battle. I'm not sure what's going to happen. For some of us, it's uh, I have a daughter, a niece, a nephew who's got cardiac arrest, and, or they got leukemia, they've got Alzheimer's, they've got some terrible diagnosis that's ripping me to shreds. For some of us, it's going, I, uh, my self-esteem is terrible, I hate myself, I hate this life, I just don't know how I can keep going. You know your problems and what wrecks you at night. But here's the thing, here's why worship can be difficult. 
Sometimes when our problems are up close to us, it's all we can see, it's all we can feel, it's all we can do. But the thing that worship does is it magnifies the Lord. So this hand represents my problems, the scope of them, as big as they are, as intense as they are. But here's the thing I talked about last week, how powerful and big and extravagant God is, where he can defy the laws of physics, where he can walk on water. He can have this man named Peter walk out onto the water. He can calm a storm. God is big. So when it says worship magnifies the character of God, what it does is it takes your problems and the scope of them and puts them into their proper perspective. Because if I took my palm and slapped it on that back wall, that back wall would be way bigger than my hand. When all you can see is the problems in front of you, you can't even see how powerful and big that back wall is. So what worship does is it takes things in their proper perspective, it magnifies and makes the perception of God bigger than the perception of your problem. When we worship, it's like we're taking this hand off of our eyes and slapping it against the back wall saying, yes, my problems are big. Yes, they're real. Yes, they're tangible. Yes, they're very, very scary. But in the scope of who God is and what he can do, God is bigger. That is how David worships. It's not because things are peachy. It's not because things are great. It's not because, oh, is this going to be fine? It's going to be good. It's because he trusts in the Lord. He trusts that God is bigger, that God cares for him. He wants to be there for him. He wants to deliver there for him. He wants to care for his kids. And that is why David worships, because I know these problems are big, but I know who God is. And so I'm going to choose to fixate on that. That is what worship does. I sought the Lord, and he answered me. I had my fears, but God delivered me. This poor man, I called, and the Lord heard me. He saved me out of all my troubles because he encamped around me. How would that change the way we lived and the way we worship? If we knew that no matter what life comes, we have the God of the universe encamping around us. Permanent security all of the time. The reason worship is so powerful is because it takes our focus off of who we are and our problems, and it fixates it on who he is. And it changes you from the inside out. Because God is the provider. He will provide for you in whatever capacity that looks like. He is present and near. He is powerful. He is loving and compassionate. He is merciful. He is all of these things. So we, not that we ignore our problems, that we put them in their proper perspective. Words are powerful. Actions are powerful. I've seen people in some of the worst stages and most difficult situations, things that even thinking about them wreck me. How in the world did you walk through that and come through on the other side? But I got to tell you, a good friend of mine went through something that I can, can't even imagine. And at the funeral, I saw them walk in, and the gravity of what was happening just hit them. You could literally see just the brokenness come across them. But I'll never forget sitting over there and watching this person on the front row 
even after they're broken, even after they're going through stuff, I remember seeing them raise their hands and worship with what they're going through. And it will forever stick with me because in that moment, you can't tell me he wasn't feeling the pain. You can't tell me he wasn't just fine. But what I can tell you and what I can attest to is he chose to fixate on God who would carry him through. He chose to worship when it's the last thing his heart probably wanted to do. And it changed him from the inside out. When you choose to magnify God and his character over your life and your circumstances, you're going to feel different. You're going to respond different as you trust in God. And here is what I love about worship. Here's what I love about Psalm chapter 34. Is this man named David down on his luck at the proverbial rock bottom of his life up till this point? Pens these words for seven verses. But verse 8 is a pivot point. He says this, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his holy people. For those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Worship is a posture. Worship magnifies the Lord. But worship is for all. Point number three, worship is for all. In the first seven verses of this psalm, you see, hear a lot of singular language. I extol the Lord. I praise the Lord. This poor man called and God answered. It's I, 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 me, me, me. It's all about David himself. But verse eight is the pivot when he's saying, hey, taste and see all of you people. Taste and see. I've been married to this wonderful woman for seven years in June. And we went on a a wonderful, awesome uh, anniversary dinner a few weeks ago. A restaurant we had never been to. It's a restaurant we had never kind of explored before. But the reviews were great, and we were so excited. And so normally when we go to eat, Meg gets the the food. We always try each other's food, right? And normally Meg gets the food that's, like, really good, and I get the stuff that's like, yeah, should have got what you got, right? But this day was different. This was the day where uh, I was super, super, super hungry, and so we prayed, and by the time Meg got her napkin on her lap, I was. And when I got that first bite of that pasta and chicken in my mouth, I, like, literally felt like I was in heaven. It was delicious. It was so good. And Meg laughs at me because I apparently made a face like, oh, my gosh, that's so good. But can I tell you what my next course of action was? The moment I realized how good this thing was, I grabbed my fork, I grabbed my knife, I cut a piece, and I stuck it out to Meg. It's like, you have to try this. It's so good for me. It tasted so delicious. You have to do this yourself. You have to try this. We do this all the time. We go see a movie. Oh, that movie was so good. I'm going to get on Facebook. Every one of my friends, you got to go see this movie. you got to try this restaurant. you got to go do this thing. you got to go to the state fair. We do it all the time. In verse 8, David is flipping it because he's saying, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the one who takes refuge in him. David has gone first. 
He's been the one who's saying, I know you guys know my situation. I know you know exactly how heavy and gravity this is, but I'm going to show you something. Despite my circumstances, despite what's going on, I'm going to choose to worship. Because in that moment, he had two responses. He was in the cave hiding for his life. So he had two choices. He could have moped and sulked and been sad and depressed and defeated and dejected because he had every right because life was beating him down. But David chose to take a posture that says, God, I'm going to choose to worship you. I'm going to choose to think that you're bigger, that you're stronger, that you're more powerful, and I'm going to choose to sing and magnify that more than my problem. And here's the best part. He goes first, but then he flips it and he says, hey, all of you guys that are with me, follow me. Do what I do. Taste and see for yourself that the Lord is good. Because when you do that, in verse 5, you will be radiant with joy. I love how the New Living Translation says this in Psalm 34, verse 5. Those who look to him for help will be radiant with joy. No shadow of shame will darken their face. Doesn't that sound nice? being radiant with joy, glowing with joy. Even if you're not in the pits and of despair, even if things are going great, don't you want to be radiant with joy? I sure do. And David outlines the, the recipe for success is to worship God. And you will be radiant with joy because in that moment, you can cling on to the fact that God is with you and not against you. You don't have to be musical to worship. You don't have to be musically gifted to honor God. You don't have to be in church to worship. It doesn't have to be the morning or the evening to worship. You can choose to worship and thank God for who he is and what he's done. And hey, get this, what he's going to do in your life if you choose to worship him. Because here's the best part about the story. We read in Psalm chapter 34 that David worshiped. He had no resources, no food, no good stuff going for him, but he chose to worship. And what we have the luxury of in the Bible is we have the full story. David's dead, everybody. Now, this was 2,000 plus years ago. So we got the luxury of seeing the scope of his life. And when he was a young teenager, a young adult, he chose to worship at the rock bottom. But what comes to fruition in the next 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years is this man does step into the kingship. His enemies fall to the wayside. And he becomes one of the greatest kings that Israel's ever seen. He goes from no food, no resources, to having a mansion of endless food and supplies. He goes from a man that's hated and despised to a man that we now call a man after God's own heart, a man that's inspiring a people, 400 people in a cave and 100 people on a Sunday morning in a little town called Now Then about the importance of worship. We're all called to worship, all of us in all seasons of life. It might not be easy, but I love what one of the theologians and scholars said, is worship is not merely thankfulness in your heart, but thankfulness on your lips. Choosing to thank God in the way that honors him. Go for a run. Write in a journal. Love somebody. Just speak it out loud. But we're all called to worship. 
And when you do, the atmosphere begins to shift. I love that it says, I will lack no good thing. When I worship, I lack nothing. Even if the externals are not matching up, if I choose to worship, I'm covered. Why? Because I'm encamped by the God of the universe. He'll give me joy. You might have doubt. You might have questions. I'm not saying it's easy. But if we choose to be a church that's going to worship, things are going to change in your life, in your family, in this place, in our town, in our world. If we choose to worship. Here's what we're going to do. Kylie, you can come on over here. Is your mic around here somewhere? Okay. Doesn't our worship team do an awesome job? We're going to do something new today, if you could stand up with me today. I'll be the first to say, as someone who's not musical myself, I'm not always one who loves to just go after musical opportunities. You might be new to church, you might be new to worship, you might be new to this whole music thing in general. But here's why we do this. This is an opportunity for us to just thank God in the way that, that works best for us. For some of us, Thanking God, we raise our hands because we're going, God, I just surrender to you. Whatever it is that is going on in my life, I give it to you, and I ask that you take it away and you'd be with me. It's a way of surrender. Some of us just sing the words outwardly because the lyrics sing of the character of God. Some of us just sit here and just reflect on those words. It doesn't matter how you worship because it's a posture. It's a heart thing. So today I want to go back into one more half song of worship because I want to give you an opportunity to worship. You might have walked in today, and it, it is, you are at that rock bottom like David. But if I could challenge you, worship. Because not only will you feel differently, but you'll start to see how the world will look different as you choose to believe in God for who he is. Some of you walked in, and life is great. Worship. Thank him for what he's brought to you. A good job, healthy family, breakthrough in a relationship. Choose to thank him for who he is and what he's done. David made a lot of mistakes in his life, some really big ones. He went through some really difficult things and some really great things. But one thing that is consistent about the life of David is he was a man that worshipped. He inspires all of us to do the same. So today, we're just going to take one or two last minutes here and whatever way works best for you, we're going to bring down the lights. So you don't have to feel uncomfortable, but whether it's just standing there or lifting your hands or just reflecting, let's choose to worship as a church today. This has been a podcast of The Bridge Church. Have a great week. Stop in Sunday sometime and visit. If you would like to give, you can do so online at sfbridge.org. Have a great week.